0: Hi everyone, I'm Maddie. And I'm Nikita. And this is We We Hate That. That. Um, So today we're going to be talking about something that creates dread in the hearts of many. The need to hunt for a new car, which usually means that you have to go to a car dealership. And we hate car dealerships. So, for
1: giggles, what is a car dealership and how did it come to be? So, obviously a car dealership is today where we go to purchase a car and they didn't always exist. When cars first became commercially available in 1886, um, they were sold directly to the consumer from the manufacturer uh, and they used alternate methods. Instead of buying in person, you would do things like mail order, department store, or talk to a traveling representative. Uh, And then a very short time after, just 12 years later, the first car car dealership um, in the United States popped up in Detroit and buying cars from dealerships was pretty civil pretty much following the set price just like as if you had done in the mail order and there wasn't much drama
0: until what's called the car boom. So let's talk about the car boom. The car boom of the 1950s happened after World War II because soldiers returned home from the world wars and suddenly everyone wanted to buy a car. It was like a huge rite of passage. It's what you do. You come home from the war and you buy a car for your family and you have lots of babies, hence the baby boomers as well. But the problem is that during all of the years that the soldiers were away at war, manufacturing had slowed down significantly for cars because any manufacturing plants that could create cars were usually kind of switched over and focused on making supplies for the actual wars, things like tanks, things like weapons. And so supply and demand... Supply was extremely low and uh, demand was bigger than ever. So during the car boom, suddenly there was actually no control over pricing for cars in dealerships and things were not so civil anymore. So in about 1958, it was recognized, you know, from a legislative perspective, that this could not continue to be, and so they made a very light piece of legislature that it's still in action today, requiring dealerships to at least place a sticker on every vehicle from a manufacturer that says the recommended retail price, which is the MSRP. So, like, they had to put a sticker that gives some sort of sense to the chaos, um, and I believe maybe that was done so that they couldn't go above that price, which is good. Um, but overall, it still doesn't provide a huge amount of guidance. Um, Also, it's worth noting that these car dealerships used to be primarily for new cars because, of course, at the time, it was mainly a new thing and and people were buying cars for the first time. Um, And whenever anybody did need to sell a car, um, they would usually do it just consumer to consumer. They'd use the classifieds or word of mouth and sell their car to another family. Um, It's worth noting as well that the average cycle time – in the 70s, between cars was five to six years. That's the amount of time it would go from someone buying a car to, you know, buying a second car or buying, you know, a different car and switching it out. However, as soon as the lease became a thing, um, it encouraged people psychologically to change their cars more often. Since the, I guess, length of time for the average lease is about three years, suddenly psychologically people started to think that they needed to buy a new car every two to three years, which created a skyrocketing demand um, and supply of used cars on dealership lots. So now we've sort of set the stage
1: of what's a car dealership? How did this come to be? Where did the power from the car dealership come from? Here's why we think they suck. We're basically forced into using car dealerships by the law. So in the United States, direct manufacturer auto sales are prohibited in almost every state by franchise laws requiring that new cars be sold only by individually owned car dealers. So you can no longer buy directly from the manufacturer like it was in the beginning. And... Walking in remains the most common form of initial contact with the dealership by more than half of car shoppers. So your first time dealing with buying a car, you're going to go in person to a dealer. And as is with many archaic experiences like utility companies or things where you don't have a ton of choice, um, there's no real impetus to innovate. The law requires cars to be sold this way, so that's the way they're sold. There's not a lot of options, just like with PG&E, gas and electric. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you don't really have a ton of options. They set the price. You can try and negotiate different services and features, but you just know in your gut you're not getting a good deal. And then they do things like turn off the
0: power or (laughs) really whatever they feel like, because that's they have the power, we have no options. Exactly, and that's a perfect example, Maddie, because much like PG&E, the experience of buying a car from a dealership is quite terrible. So there was a startup that is now defunct, but it was called BP, and it was aiming to do um, car sales in an alternative way. And they put together a huge, large-scale study to find out about behaviors around buying cars. And their 2016 survey found that 87% of Americans dislike something about car shopping at dealerships. And 61% feel that like they're being taken advantage of while they're there. So the vast majority of people that go into car dealerships hate the experience. And because there is no alternative way of doing things by law, that is how it is, which is really sad. Um, There was also an interesting stat, which is in the JD Power study, they found that purchasing a car from a dealership takes an average of 187 minutes, which is more than three hours, Mm. even when a person knows what they want. Um, So... Uh, There is also other issues, like there's limited stock of certain types of cars, and so, you know, you go online to buy something, and you get every possible option in every color, and you just order what you want. The difference is that at a car dealership, even if you're going for the latest, shiniest new model they may not have the color and the trim level that you want on their particular lot. So you either have a choice of compromising and getting something you don't want or driving 60 miles to the car dealership that happens to have all of the things that you want, which just seems pretty wrong. And it also means that salespeople have alternative motives to lead you into buying certain things. If the lime green Fiat that's been on the lot for, you know, over a year isn't moving, then they're going to continually try to get people to to have that so that they can have new stock that will move faster. In general, this type of activity and behavior has just led to a whole new set of mind games that have been created. It's famous how there's different haggling rules you have to follow when you go into a dealership, um, which just seems ridiculous. It, a way to go about buying one of the most expensive purchases that Americans do buy. So just for an example, to see how widespread this is in popular culture, here's a quick clip from Seinfeld that sort of talks about the haggling process at the car dealership. Look at these salesmen.
1: The only thing these guys fear is the walkout. No matter what they say, you say, I'll walk out of here right now. Can I help you with something? Hold it! One more step and we're walking! George. Sorry, we're just waiting for David Putty? He is. You don't know what I'm doing. So clearly the car buying process can induce anxiety in everyone, from Jerry Seinfeld to me and Nikita. Um, But even though it can be a difficult process for everybody involved, it in particular is a negative experience for women. When we're thinking about women and going into purchasing a car, um, first thing is there's no set prices, right? So women tend to be more uncomfortable with negotiation, which is often necessary and expected at dealerships. So if you don't come in armed with that toolkit or that skill you're going to be more susceptible to being taken advantage of in the car buying process um and probably not get a good deal and that comes with a layered economic disadvantage we're already as women or earning 79 cents on the dollar compared to a man, and then getting a terrible deal on one of the most expensive purchases you're going to make in your lifetime. So it's the compounding effect of being a woman having this economic disadvantage when you're buying a car.
0: Exactly. So that's one of the big problems with um, buying a car as a woman. And another issue that you experience is not only are you uncomfortable ne- with negotiation? So that's one reason you might get, you know, a, a worse deal. Another reason that you're going to get a worse deal is because car sales people have a specific bias against women. Um, so, Women's voices should be heard more when it comes to this process. Women buy 54% of the cars in the U.S. and influence 84% of all vehicle purchase decisions. However, part of the reason why women dread this and we feel you know, ignored, patronized, or ripped off at car dealerships is because we genuinely are treated worse even when everything else is controlled for. Ugh. There was a study done by two economists in Chicago where... They armed a man and a woman with exactly the same information, script, everything um, to go into a car dealership. And car dealers always quoted the higher pricer to the test group of women than to a similar group of men, even when they had the exact same information and script. So why does this happen? It's just an ongoing bias that women don't know enough about cars and the car buying process and then take advantage of that. So even when women are informed and savvy, they get different treatment and a harder time getting what they want. So because of this mistreatment, women often bring men with them. So according to a 29 study, more than half of women shopping for cars are accompanied most often by men. It's sad how the mere presence of a man makes us less likely to get screwed over.
1: Which is so funny because again, like being in pop culture with Seinfeld, it makes me think of this episode of New Girl, where Jess, the main character, negotiates, tries to pre-negotiate online with a particular salesman at a car dealership under the pseudonym of Jeff instead of Jess. And she asks one of her guy friends to go in and pretend to be Jeff Day. And while she's sitting there... In the car dealership with the man, absolute chaos ensues, even though she's already prearranged this and tried to organize it. So actually, you should just listen for yourself. I wish uh, we could get twin hogs, but then the missus would stop giving me that sweet potato pie. (laughs) You know, Jeff Day, I need my sweet potato pie every four hours. Ain't that right, baby? I married a hungry man.
0: If you're open to other options, we just got a consignment of vehicles that we are looking to move at rock bottom prices.
1: I had my heart set on that cute little car that you showed me in that email you wrote. Had a really big makeup mirror, and I sure was excited about it. There's
0: no harm in hearing what the catch of the day is, right? No harm, exactly.
1: Billy, Jeff needs to take his omega three pill. Could you grab us a glass of water? Not
0: a problem. I got a bad ticker myself. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> I had him right where I wanted him.
1: He's trying to bait and switch us, and you're gobbling it up like an old king with a turkey leg. You're leaving money on the table. I can smell it. Watch, I'm gonna string him along then I'm gonna get you a better deal. He
0: thinks he's fishing for me. Nah, I'm fishing for him, but from the water. You're
1: way over your head.
0: Right where a fish wants to be.
1: So obviously that's pretty funny and exaggerated, but I think the premise is not too far-fetched.
0: Also, the other funny thing to consider is that Seinfeld was in, what, the late 80s, early 90s, and New Girl is in the late 2000s, and the same message is being portrayed. So it's funny because I know it's it's humorous to call Seinfeld a pop culture reference when it is so outdated, but clearly it's not, and it's funny to see the common thread, actually, between these two clips so far apart from one another.
1: That's so true. <laughs> uh, and... And so these are all, you know, funny examples or examples from media and from studies. But we wanted to talk about our personal experience, of course. And in my personal experience, I have actually never bought a car. Uh, the idea of doing it gives me anxiety. I feel my heart rate raising just thinking about it because I've had such negative experiences even when I've like – had to get something fixed on a car, had to go to the dealer to get a repair done. It's been so wildly unpleasant, like driving really far. It's expensive. It's always a man in there trying to (laughs) deal with you. And I hate it. And I always had to bring my dad. And I'm nervous now that I'm a real adult and I can't bring my dad with me to the car dealer. I hope I never have to buy a car. Just I hope they all get automated and then um, nobody ever has to drive again.
0: (laughs) That is definitely a certain take on it, for sure. (laughs) Um, And I'm with you, girl. But it sucks that it's probably going to be the reality for at least a little bit longer. Um, In terms of my own experiences, my dad, like, randomly bought my first car from someone on craigslist and we did this whole like sketchy showdown not actually sketchy but it was really funny so that was not a dealership experience and then when i was buying my own car after that car had broken down i actually had a great experience because i decided to take myself out of the traditional system Mm -hmm. of dealerships and i went to this place called hertz car sales i think enterprise does it too but it's this thing where um car rental places put their retired fleet. And by retired, by the way, I only mean like two to three years old. Um, They put their retired fleet up for sale as soon as, you know, the new years come in. So I was shopping in 2017 and I got a 2015 Ford Focus with not that many miles on it, which is awesome. And because it's a little bit different than the dealership model, there was only one salesperson there. So it wasn't like I was being Clamored over, and they don't care as much or have as much of an assay necessarily on what they want to come in next. They're not as worried about inventory and such because it's just whatever the car rental uh, dealership sends over. So he was very informative with me and not um, pushy about buying one thing over another, which felt really good. So that was pretty clear and a uh, good experience. I'd recommend that to any of you who want to look for an alternative method. Um, And then the only other experience I had recently was my mom, my brother and I were helping my mom look for a car. She was going to be paying for it. It's her car. And it was just frustrating to me how many of the, Um, salespeople primarily spoke to and looked at my brother. um, And then my mom went in with really specific specifications of what she wanted. Like she wanted a hatchback. She knew that she wanted one that wasn't too big. And we were continually led away over and over again to things that didn't fit that basic description, which starts to tell you how that 187 (laughs) minutes might start (laughs) to add up.
1: Yeah, that see that's the stuff that gives me anxiety. <laughs> so, where what would it look like if it wasn't an anxiety-inducing experience? So, you know, we have some suggestions or things that we've seen that we think work better. So, um, one example would be of Tesla. So, Tesla is really breaking the mold of the car buying experience. So, Instead of selling you a car, Tesla stores simply exist to give the customer a place to see sample vehicles and get more information. So it totally removes the very stereotypical sales pitch that often comes with a car dealership. The people at the Tesla stores are not trying to sell you a vehicle at all. They're just there to educate you, which is a totally different attitude about buying a car and having a storefront. It's um, even illegal for them to sell new cars in person. You learn about the car at the store and then you order it online. Um, so it's two completely separate processes. Um, store employees aren't salespeople and they don't make a commission. And they're set prices. So Um, You go online and the base car costs a certain price and then additional features, it's like just add them to your cart and that's what you're going to pay and it's not a mystery. Um, Of course, you have to deal with wait lists or Elon Musk sleeping on the floor of his factory or whatever else (laughs) happens, but that's not your problem. You know what you're going to pay. Um, So it would be great to see other brands continue to do the same sort of show and tell and then direct-to-consumer model that gets around the law of doing the direct-to-manufacturers but still makes it a great experience.
0: Exactly. Um, The thing that is a little bit limited, of course, about that suggestion of ours is that it Primarily applies to new cars, of course, because those are the prices that you can set more easily. However, as we've described, there's a huge market in the US for used cars. So in terms of our suggestions when it comes to used cars, there's a couple of things that we think could be great solutions. One is maybe a little too idealistic, but it'd be really cool if there were certain bands for each type of used car. So for instance, if you were trying to buy a 2014 Honda Accord, there would be a like-new price. They would be a gently used price, a used price, etc. And that would be commonplace across the board so that you don't have to um, try and like do so much guesswork. Particularly with used cars, I feel like the, the price range and the negotiation can be huge. And then the other things that people have tried to do For used cars is there's been a lot of startups so there's something called shift.com there's something called Room.com. they all kind of have the same message which is haggle free pricing they have assigned a price you're buying it at home you're doing the research on your computer and it's completely pressure free Um, they tend to have concierges who are not attached to the price of the car whatsoever to help you along the way so those are some options that you have um, and then one kind of dream of ours in for used cars (laughs) But for now, this dream is not a
1: reality. We don't own a Tesla. So looking for the future and dealing with car dealerships, we have a few tips if you have to go. So our first tip is do all of your homework before ever even stepping foot onto a lot. Know your car type, know your trim level, so the kinds of um, amenities you want inside the car. Know how many, what year you want, mileage, things, uh, functions and features that you want to pay special attention to. And don't go into the experience hoping you'll actually learn something because if you show that you don't know something, that's your weak spot. That's where they're going to take advantage. So that goes into tip number two, which is let the salesperson know that you know your stuff. Have key features ready like warranty, vehicle reliability, horsepower, gas efficiency, stuff that's typically... More male information or things we think about, but back it backs up why you like a certain car and shows that you're really knowledgeable in their language as well. Um, even take notes on your test drive. It really makes you seem in control and shows the salesperson that you're not going to be whisked away by your emotions or the feeling of a car, that you are ready to make an informed, logical decision and our final tip is to negotiate always every single time even if the first price they give you is already discounted even if it's in your price point it can go lower um, don't let your information slip. So have it in mind how high and will uh, low you're willing to go and what your financial situation is. Just have that in mind. Make sure you know your bottom line and be willing to walk away. Just like um, the Jerry Seinfeld clip, if you got to walk, you have to be willing to do so and um, hopefully they'll respect that as well.
0: So that's our episode for today. We hope that you've learned a little something or at the very least can commiserate with what we're saying. Um, and we did want to do a special little sign off today and let you know that this has been our seventh and final episode of our very first season. For those of you who have watched or listened rather to all of our episodes, we really appreciate your support. It's been so fun. We started at the end of August and now we're here towards the end of December. So it's been an incredible um few months it's been it's been great we're so excited to bring you um some all new topics in season two and we'd also love to hear from you about what you want us to bring to you in season two which is coming at an undisclosed time in 2020
1: in a couple months
0: <laughs> some at some point um we gotta you know leave some mystery and get the get the real um uh, buzz going (laughs) (laughs) and um, so yeah we want to hear from you just about what you thought about this season or what you'd like to see next season so feel free to reach out to us through any of our channels we're on instagram at we hate that podcast we are on twitter at we hate that pod uh, or gmail you'd be the first person to email us other than any of the accounts that we have (laughs) Um, so we hate that podcast at gmail.com and we'll we'll miss you guys for now but we're really really looking forward to bringing you all new stuff in 2020.
1: And remember, we we hate hate that, that, but but we we love you. you.